We're having a special Memorial Day message today. This is called The Heart of a Warrior. I want to start off by acknowledging all present and former military personnel. If you have been, are now, or were a part of the military, I'd like to ask you to stand for a moment. We want to honor you. And stay standing. In the back, too. Stay standing. Don't sit down yet. We want, stay standing because we want to, we want to pray for you, okay? Father, we thank you for these folks that make great sacrifices for our nation, Lord, and for you. Thank you for their service, for all they've done. We ask your blessings upon them over and over and over again. We thank you for them, and we thank you also for those who have gone before and many who have lost their lives in service of this country. We praise you, and we thank you, and we ask you to bless them abundantly in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Like so many of our holidays, a lot of people really don't even know what Memorial Day is about. To them, it's just another day to barbecue and drink and carouse and so forth. Originally called Decoration Day, uh, it's a day of remembrance for those who have died in their nation's service. How many of you have friends, family, loved ones that died in their nation's service? Me too. Okay. Memorial Day was officially proclaimed on 5th of May, 1868 by General John Logan, National Commander of the Grand Army of the Republic, in his General Order No. 11 and was first observed on 30th of May, 1868 when flowers were placed on the graves of Union and Confederate soldiers at Arlington National Cemetery. The first state to officially recognize the holiday was New York in 1873. By 1890, it was recognized by all of the northern states. The South refused to acknowledge the day, honoring their dead on separate days until after World War I. It took a time for healing to occur after the Civil War. But after World War I, when the holiday changed from honoring just those who died fighting in the Civil War, which was what it was originally for, to honoring Americans who died fighting in any war. And you've probably heard of the Tomb of the Unknowns, also known as the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier although it's never been officially named, is a monument dedicated to American servicemen and women who have died without their remains being identified. It is located in Arlington National Cemetery in the United States. The unknown soldier of World War I is a recipient of the Medal of Honor, the Victoria Cross, and several other foreign nations' highest service awards. The U.S. unknown soldiers who were interred afterwards are also recipients of the Medal of Honor presented by the U.S. presidents who presided over their funerals. It is considered one of the highest honors to serve as a ceremonial guard at the Tomb of the Unknowns. Fewer than 20% of all volunteers are accepted for training, and of those, only a fraction pass training to become full-fledged tomb guards. The Sentinels do not wear rank insignia on their uniforms so that they do not outrank the Unknowns, whatever their rank may have been. Soldiers serving in other roles, like Relief Commander and Assistant Relief Commander, do wear insignia of their rank when changing the guard only. They have a separate uniform worn when they actually guard the unknowns or are, quote, posted. Charles Ryrie, one of my favorite Bible commentators, said, the highest expression of love is a self-sacrifice that spares not life itself. And of course, we all know John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. In order to be a true warrior, 
one must be willing to give up everyone and everything, including one's own life. And today I would like to discuss the heart of a warrior by briefly examining three of what I believe are the greatest warriors this world has ever known, Joshua, David, and Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we lift up this time in your word this morning. We ask that you would use this time of study in your word to build us up, to encourage us, to strengthen us, that we might all here today be mighty warriors for Christ, soldiers of the cross. Lord, bless this study now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, Joshua, Exodus 17, 9 and 10. Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. This is the first time Joshua is mentioned in the scriptures. And with no introduction of any kind, his first recorded action is to lead the troops of Israel into battle against the Amalekites. The heart of a warrior, first of all, is not reluctant or reticent. There's an old expression, the quick and the dead. When we're called to battle, we need to be quick to respond. Can you imagine if you're commanding troops? And, if you, and I was watching a film the other day. It, was, it showed a depiction of a, a World War I battle. And they had the whistles, and they'd all be down in the foxhole. And then when the, uh, the commander or whoever was leading the troops into the, up over the top of the foxhole and across the field into the, uh, the uh, machine gun fire from the Germans, he would stand up on the ladder, blow the whistle, and immediately everybody went over the top. No reticence, no hesitation. And of course, many of them were mowed down by the enemy gunfire. Matthew 4, 18 through 20, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and he's calling his disciples. Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, and he's walking along the seashore there, follow me. And the way I picture this, the way I envision this, I don't think Jesus ever stopped walking. He's walking, he's looking. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Right in the middle of their plying their trade, carrying out their occupation. And they heard the call of God through the voice of Jesus Christ and they immediately left their nets and followed him. So first of all, the heart of a warrior is not reluctant or reticent quick to respond to the call to battle. Secondly, the heart of a warrior is characterized by obedience. Exodus 17.10, So Joshua did as Moses had said to him. There's no evidence of any kind that Joshua was reluctant, hesitant, questioned Moses. Moses said, I want you to go down there and fight the Amalekites, and that's what he did. Now, if you remember, the first king of Israel was a guy named Saul. He, too, was a warrior, but his life ended in suicide because he lacked the character and spirituality to be a true warrior for God. Interestingly, it was his failure to obey God in eradicating the Amalekites, the same group that Joshua fought, that led to his downfall. 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel said, 
Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Because Saul was instructed by God to go in and wipe out every man, woman, boy, and girl, and animal because the Amalekites were vile idolaters. And they'd had hundreds of years to repent, turn to God, and they did not. And so Saul was given the charge of going in and eradicating them because they would pollute the people of Israel with their idolatry. And again, we know that Israel never fully succeeded in driving out all the pagan groups in the land. And ultimately, they did succumb to idolatry. And so Samuel is rebuking him here. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? And so, I mean, we could all find ourselves in that place, perhaps, of being guilty, you know, doing things for God. But what God requires more than anything else is simply obedience. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. A lot of people substitute sacrifice for obedience. God says obedience comes first. And to heed than the fat of rams. And some people try to buy their way into heaven. They might be fortunate to be financially prosperous. And so maybe they give lots of money to the church, various charities and so forth. But when it comes to, to running their own lives... They just do their own thing. They don't listen to God. They don't follow God. They don't obey God. And God says that's the most important thing to me, to him, obedience. Thirdly, so the heart of a warrior is not reluctant or reticent. And thirdly, the heart of a warrior is a humble heart or a broken heart. That might sound strange. How can you be a mighty warrior and have a broken heart? But King David wrote this. You do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. David, even under the Old Testament sacrificial system, understood that sacrifice was not the highest priority for someone who desired to serve God and follow God. You do not delight in burnt offering. Interesting, isn't it? Even though God had commanded them to do that, David knew the heart of God. What was David's trademark? He was a man after God's own heart. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, these, O oh God, you will not despise. But Saul didn't have that broken, contrite heart. He tried to make excuses for his disobedience, and that didn't fly with God. John the Baptist, Jesus said, he's the greatest of all men born of the womb, out of a woman, born into this world, a human being, and yet in the kingdom of God, he's the least. But John Preparing the way of the Lord, going before Jesus, preparing the hearts of the people, bringing that message of repentance. And yet, what did John say in John 3.30? John the Baptist said, He, Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. I would say humility and obedience go hand in hand. Disobedience is the result of pride. I'm not going to listen to you. I know better than you. Your orders don't fit in with my plans. And I would say typically, someone who has problems with earthly authority probably has problems with God's authority as well. If you learn how to submit to God and to obey God, then you probably also have an understanding of what it means to submit to earthly authority, which is biblical. And it's never predicated upon how qualified 
that individual is to be an authority over you. God puts people in places of authority, and he takes them out when he wants to. Our job is to be obedient to both earthly authority and God's authority. Unless, as I've told you many times, they're requiring you to do something ungodly, unbiblical, or illegal. Then you are not obligated to obey. Because, as the disciples told the Sanhedrin, we must obey God rather than men. You see why it's important to study the whole Bible? So you get the balance, right? In the book of James, James talks about you have not because you ask not, but you rarely hear anybody quote the next part where he says, but then you ask and you receive and you use it for your own pleasure. So there's another side to that coin. Anyway, Saul, 1 Samuel 15, 23. For rebellion, Samuel tells Saul, is as the sin of witchcraft, which is a very serious sin, by the way. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. And then Jesus, in John 4, 34, tells the people, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. His very sustenance, his very existence, Jesus' very reason for even being here on this planet was to do the will of the Father. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That was Jesus' full-time obsession, if you will, and I use that word in a positive sense. Jesus was totally focused on doing the will of the Father. John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And if Jesus, the very Son of God, could say that, how much more should we say the same thing? Our purpose here in this world, in this life, should be to do the will of him who has called us. He sent Jesus, and Jesus has called us to come into fellowship with him. He says, I'm in my Father, my Father's in me. And if you're in me, you're in both me and the Father. Matthew 26, 39. He went a little further, Jesus did, and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it's possible, here we see Jesus' humanity, his suffering, his struggle. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me, this cup of the crucifixion, the torture, the torment of the beating by the Roman soldiers, then carrying his cross and being nailed to the cross. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, the fourth point I want to make here is the heart of a warrior is a fighting heart. And we saw how Joshua fought with Amalek. 1 Samuel 30, verse 17. This is David this time. David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. How long is that, folks? 24 hours. David was engaged in battle for a continuous 24 hours. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued. And see what happened when Saul didn't obey God? Those stinking Amalekites are still around. And they had plundered and pillaged 
David and his men carried off their wives and so forth. So David recovered all that the Malachites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. See why it's important to be obedient to God? But sometimes we question him, don't we? Lord, are you sure that's the right thing here? I don't know, Lord. That seems kind of extreme. I don't think we need to go that far. But by Saul not obeying God, David's now dealing with the consequences. Always the Amalekites. What's up with that? They were the perennial enemies of Israel. And in Balaam's prophecy in Numbers 24.20, Amalek is called the first of the nations, seemingly indicating that they were one of the oldest people groups on the planet and also one of the most despicable. Other than man himself, who's been wandering around this planet the longest, do you know? 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And certainly, Satan was working through the Amalekites. Revelation 12.9, the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And that's coming soon in the middle of the tribulation. But he's been wandering around down here for a long time. Except as we see in the book of Job, he is still able to go before God and accuse the brethren, accuse the saints. He is the accuser of the brethren. But he's also walking about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Folks, the true warrior, and I'm talking today in the spiritual sense, obviously, although we've, we're honoring those who have fought and died for our nation, true warriors, but you and I as believers are called to be soldiers of the cross. And so I'm speaking today with us in reference to being a Christian soldier, a soldier of the cross. The true warrior must have a fighting heart. Because the Amalekites, who actually represent Satan, the devil, they just keep turning up like a bad penny. He never stops fighting. The devil never stops fighting. So we must not stop fighting either. Remember Aaron and Hur? They were there when Moses dispatched Joshua to fight the Amalekites. Exodus 17, 11. So it was when Moses held up his hand... The, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So oftentimes we are called to be like Aaron, to be like Hur, holding one another's arms up when we get exhausted while fighting the good fight. That's why we need each other. That's why we need Christian fellowship. That's why we need to be part of a local body of believers because nobody is able or capable of doing it all on their own. 1 Timothy 6.12, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Ephesians 6.11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's military equipment that Paul is describing there. The whole armor of God. 
Ephesians 6.13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. And I would say we're in the evil day here now more than ever. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. And if you look back to Genesis 6, the reason God destroyed the earth with a flood is because he says the thoughts and intents of the heart of man were evil, nothing but evil all the time. The only ones that were spared were Noah and his family. So there is hope for the righteous. How do you become one of the righteous? You put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior of your soul. Jesus himself even had to fight with the devil before he launched out into his public ministry. Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. You think? <laughs> now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, the devil... Actually, there are those who say it probably should be translated, Since you are the Son of God. Satan knew full well Jesus was the Son of God. And since you are the Son of God, that means you're capable of doing what I'm about to tell you to do. Command that these stones become bread, Jesus. I know you're hungry. Come on. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The whole counsel of God. All the Holy Scriptures. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. So Jesus, you can just prove to everybody right here and now that you're the Son of God by doing this. You don't have to go to the cross. Jesus said to him, It is written, again, that's important. Jesus responded each time to the enemy with the word of God. It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now that could only be a temptation if Satan was actually able to do that. Satan is described in the Bible as the prince of this world. I think we all know that he has tremendous influence over the powers that be in this world, do we not? Satan was offering Jesus a shortcut because Jesus is going to rule over this planet for a thousand years and we're going to rule and reign with him. But again, the devil was offering him the shortcut and that's what the devil always does, folks. He offers you the shortcut. You don't have to be married to sleep together. God is the one who gave you these desires. It's perfectly normal. You see? The shortcut. Now, after you've behaved badly and impregnated someone or gotten pregnant, the shortcut is you kill it. You abort it. You don't have to deal with the consequences of your actions. Just kill it. The shortcut. The devil always comes to you with the shortcut. Whatever it might be, whether it's thievery, whether it's aborting a baby, embezzling, 
Many, many ways that we can, quote, take the shortcut. The only shortcut you can't take is there's only one way to heaven, Jesus Christ, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. The devil craves and longs for worship. That's why he was thrown out of heaven. I will be like the Most High. And he'll take it any way he can get it. If you want to worship a movie star, the devil will take it because ultimately you're really worshiping him. If you want to worship a rock star, if you want to worship Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, any number of other people, or if you want to worship objects, materialism, greed, mammon, the devil, any worship that's not directed towards the God of all creation is ultimately directed towards Satan. Do you know that? Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. On what basis? For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. What were Jesus' weapons here as he was fighting against Satan? Well, he was fasting, first of all, right? Forty days and forty nights. He was praying. And thirdly, the Word of God. See, that's where our authority to stand against the devil comes from. It's not from us. It's from God's authority. It's from His Holy Word. Moving on in Ephesians 6.17, take the helmet of salvation, guarding our minds, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, Paul writes, Though we walk in the flesh, we all have these fleshly bodies, we're in a material world, hopefully we're not like Madonna, we're not a material girls and guys. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. And like I said, we're talking here about spiritual warfare, spiritual warriors. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not fleshly, they're not worldly, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. See, how that's how the enemy works. He tries to establish strongholds in people's lives. Jesus said, here comes Satan and he has no place in me. There was no place in Jesus where the devil could get a hold of him. No stronghold. But drug addiction can be a stronghold. Alcohol addiction can be a stronghold. Sexual addiction can be a stronghold. There are many ways that the enemy establishes strongholds in our hearts and minds. But Paul says our weapons are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought. Again, the battle is won or lost in the mind. That's why Jesus said, if you think it, you've done it. Philippians chapter 4, 6 and 7. We're to bring everything to God in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And then he promises a result to guard our hearts and our minds 
in Christ Jesus. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And we talked about the obedience of the warrior. And I would say Satan's primary weapon against the believer is temptation. That's why Jesus taught the disciples to pray the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 13. The very last part of that prayer, God, Father, our Father who art in heaven, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Trials will make us stronger. What ultimately breaks those who fall is giving in to the flesh. Remember Samson and Delilah? David and Bathsheba? Judas? You might say, oh man, the devil's really kicking my rear. He's all over me like stink on a skunk. Everything's going wrong. But I would say, no, you're wrong. That's God. He's sifting you. He's testing you. He's purifying you. He's strengthening you. James 1, 2 through 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. Go down to verse 13 through 15. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. This is a, the terminology here in the original language is like um, fishing terminology, like baiting a hook, casting it out to draw in your, using that bait to draw in your prey. Then when desire has conceived, when you actually act on that desire and you fall into sin. It gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. We could go on and on about the qualities and characteristics of a warrior's heart, but let me close today with one final quality. The heart of a warrior is a brave heart. David, 1 Samuel 16, 18. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre, He's a brave man and a warrior. So David was the whole package. He was brave. He was a warrior. He was a worship leader, musician. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. But one of his outstanding characteristics was he's a brave man and a warrior. Joshua, Joshua 1.9. God says to Joshua, have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage or courageous. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you sometimes. Is that what it says? The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. How many of you believe that? Wherever you go. Folks, bravery comes from truly knowing and believing that God is with us. Whenever we give way to fear, that tells me that we probably have forgotten the fact that God's right there with us. Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him 
who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's called the fear of the Lord. The book of Proverbs says repeatedly, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we have a true fear of the Lord, we won't fear people. We won't fear humankind because we have the fear of the Lord in us. We know his might, his power, his strength, his protection. If we are truly respectful of God uh, and are in awe of him, if we love him, all fear of physical harm is removed. Hebrews 13, 6. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? You know that expression, do your worst? The worst they can do is kill you. But that's just this vehicle that's this temporary shell that we live in. One way or another, it's going to pass anyway. 2 Corinthians 3.12, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. How many of you are very bold here today? You should be. I mean, we all have different personalities. I'm kind of shy and reticent and <laughs> reserved. But it doesn't matter what personality you have. You can still be bold in the Lord. Do you know that? And that's what God wants for us. He wants us to be bold. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. There again, the mind. Most people in this life, in this world, are all wor worried about the physical, aren't they? You know, and so we have all kinds of, you know, reconstruction surgery and we have gymnasiums where people work out and you always see people running down the road and riding their bikes. And it seems, I hate to say this because I know there's, some of you are probably really committed and dedicated to your physical regimen. But, don't be offended. The more decadent our world becomes, the more obsessed people are with the physical. Do you know that? Paul says bodily exercise is of some benefit. It's kind of beneficial. But spiritual exercise is where it's at. But since people don't know God, they're not pursuing God, they have nothing else to focus on but the physical. I mean, compared to 50, 60 years ago, our society is way, way more obsessed with the physical than they were then. It's because that's all they have. They don't know God. And yet, in spite of all that, how many times have you heard of someone who's like, appears to be at the peak of health, slim, trim, rides their bike 50 miles a day, and all of a sudden, they just keel over one day. Oh, gee, I guess that didn't work. And then you see other people walking around, and you're, let's be honest, you're thinking, I don't know how that person's even alive. And they just go on and on and on. Gee, you think God has something to do with it? You think God's the one who decides when you leave this world? I think so. I think so. 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love. There's no crying in baseball. And there's no fear in love. But perfect love, who has perfect love? God. Perfect love casts out fear. Are you filled with God's perfect love? You can be. You should be. Because fear involves torment. There's no torment for believers. God chastises us. 
He does not condemn us. Jesus Christ was judged in our place. If you're a believer and you're tormented, something's wrong. God does not torment his children. You need to be set free from whatever it is that's tormenting you. And God can and will do that. Jesus said, I came to set the captives free. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears, listen to this, has not been made perfect or mature or complete in love and agape. All of this ties together. The brokenness, the humility, the obedience. The lack of reticence and hesitance. Out of all the scores of brave men and women who've laid down their lives to purchase the freedom of their spouses, children, family, loved ones, friends, neighbors, and even people that they never have never known. Only one, folks, has risen from the dead. Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of the living God. And while so many have given so much to purchase a freedom, let's be honest, it's temporary. That doesn't in any way lessen the sacrifice, the commitment. We honor them, we applaud them on this Memorial Day. But the best that we can hope for in this life by our own efforts is a freedom that is temporary for all those who will believe in Him, in Jesus Christ, and receive the gift of freedom that He's purchased for us. It's an eternal, everlasting freedom that nothing or no one can take from us. Let's stand. Before Roy leads us in a closing song, we're going to have a moment of prayer. I'd like to ask anyone with a prayer request if you'd raise your hand now, please. Let's bow our heads and go before the Lord. Father God, first of all, we do thank you again for all the brave men and women who have sacrificed so much to purchase our freedom for us here in the United States of America, Lord, going all the way back to the Revolutionary War. Lord, many have paid the highest price. We thank you for them. We applaud them. We honor them here today. And those who are still involved in active military service, we ask you to be with them, protect them, watch over them, keep them safe. Lord, draw them to yourself because we know that to be the best that we can be, we need to know you, Lord. We need to have you working in our lives. We need to be filled with your Holy Spirit. So we pray for our military that there will be a great outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon every man and woman in the armed services, Lord. And I pray that they would be blessed and encouraged on this weekend, this holiday weekend, Memorial Day weekend. Lord, we thank you for your word, the power Lord, it's your word that energizes us, empowers us, and enables us to be the warriors that you've called us to be. Lord, please forgive us and deliver us from any kind of a civilian mentality that we may have been walking in. Lord, we honor and recognize and acknowledge that in your kingdom, there are no civilians. Lord, we all are soldiers of the cross. We ask you to strengthen us, help us, enable us, Lord, to be the brave warriors that you've called us to be. We ask that you give us warriors' hearts. Lord, just help us to follow the things that we've read today in your scriptures. Lord, that you would cast out all fear from us. Lord, I pray for those who may have a physical health issue here today, Lord, and there could be some fear involved with that. But again, you are in control. You're in charge. 
Lord, and we yield to you and submit to you. We humbly ask for healing. Lord, for any affliction that may be upon anyone here today that's raised their hand and even those that didn't. Lord, whether it would be cancer or lung disease, heart disease, arthritis, allergies, Lord, the list goes on and on. We know these human bodies are frail and they ultimately do begin to fall apart and break down. But Lord, we pray for peace, we pray for strength, we pray for healing and encouragement for those dealing with any kind of a physical affliction here today, Lord. And we will be quick to give you the glory and the praise and the honor for healing us. We, Lord, we, we will tell everyone we know about the wonderful work you've done in us. Lord, I do want to pray this morning for those who've lost loved ones over these past couple years during this pandemic. Lord, and even those who may have lost a loved one, it had nothing to do with the pandemic. It's still painful. It's still hurtful. It's hard to say goodbye to those we love. And I pray for comfort and strength, Lord. Lord, there are several in this congregation that have lost spouses and loved ones. We pray for your comfort and your strength and your encouragement to be upon them. Father, we pray for mental and emotional issues. We talked about that today, that the battle is won or lost in the mind. And so we know that's where the enemy attacks us in our thought life. We ask that you would bring healing and restoration to those struggling with anxiety, depression, worry, fear, doubt, unbelief, anger, bitterness, resentment, jealousy, unforgiveness. Lord, these are all extremely debilitating and damaging emotions and feelings that we struggle with and deal with. We pray for deliverance, Lord. As you said, you came to set the captives free. I ask you to break the power of these things over anyone here today who's struggling in these areas, that you would bind the enemy away from your people, guard our hearts and minds, just like you promised. And Lord, you'd cast out all fear with your perfect love. Pray for those needing financial provision, Lord. Encourage them today, uplift them, strengthen them, help them, Lord, and help them not, again, not to give way to fear, but to trust in you. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us as a body of believers to, to support one another, encourage one another, help one another whenever possible. But Lord, we know ultimately you are provider, and if we put our trust and our hope in you, you will provide for us. We thank you. We praise you. Whether it's a need for a job or just some extra income, whatever it might be, Lord, we ask you to help each one in Jesus' name. And finally, we pray for broken relationships. Lord, we know the enemy comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy and he tries to tear people apart, whether it's marriages, friendships, working relationships, neighborhoods. Lord, whatever it might be, we pray for healing and restoration for marriages represented here today or those maybe not here, maybe watching online, maybe the friend of a friend. But Lord, we pray that you would strengthen the marriages in this church and those that we are connected with. Lord, we know the devil, one of his prime targets is to tear down and destroy families and destroy marriages we pray for healing and restoration in Jesus' name. And other relationships that may have been damaged, Lord, sometimes we do stupid things and sometimes it's just the enemy getting in there and trying to confuse people and, and misconstrue things and bring confusion. But we pray for healing and restoration for friendships, for marriages, for business relationships, Lord. We thank you that nothing is too difficult for you. And Lord, you did promise that you would restore the years that the canker worm has eaten. Lord, we know that sometimes the enemy eats away at relationships, but we thank you and praise you for restoration. And now we offer up to you our final praise this morning. Lord, we pray that you'll be blessed as we sing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>